I'm Ashley Smith Thomas, a millennial talking about freedom and national security for America. I'm the founder of Freedoms Fund USA, a nonprofit to protect freedom and national security. I am a speaker, advocate, and thought leader. I spent 2016 saving Christians targeted by ISIS in the Middle East. This was truly an eye-opening and life-changing experience as I watched and learned from my fellow Christians who longed for freedom. It was that experience that became the inspiration to start this show. In this show, come with me as I interview experts about key freedom issues in America and how we can protect freedom. Because if we lose our freedom, how can we bring freedom to the whole world? Let's take action together and let freedom ring. Welcome, my name is Ashley Smith Thomas and I am the host of Freedom Talks. The purpose of this show is to educate fellow Americans on key freedom and national security issues that impact our nation. And I like to bring on subject matter experts who can fill us in, inform us on these key freedom issues, but more importantly, provide us a call to action so that we can make a difference. It's one thing to have the information, but then it's what do we do with it afterward? So we like to give people an action item so that way you all can make a difference. Back in June, we saw something unprecedented happen, and that was a opportunity to undermine the highest court in the land, the Supreme Court of the United States. We saw a leak be released from SCOTUS at the time regarding the potential of overturning Roe v. Wade. Unfortunately, through that, we saw protesters in the streets, we saw rioters outside justices' homes, and then we also saw a justice of the Supreme Court, Brett Kavanaugh, threatened and receiving death threats. Unfortunately, we have a president who at the time did nothing to condemn these actions, let alone anyone from his administration. Instead, we have a president who was actually encouraging people to go protest and continue to add pressure. This whole move that we saw was to undermine a decision that had yet been released at the time, and what they were trying to do was change a decision. Unfortunately, it failed. And or actually, fortunately, it failed. And on June 24th, we saw uh, SCOTUS being able to overturn Roe v. Wade and giving power back to the states. So today I have with me a fantastic guest, and it's such an honor to introduce him to you because he's the one who wrote the Texas Heartbeat Bill. He's been a strong defender of life and has been following very closely what was happening in the recent ruling from SCOTUS. So it is with great pleasure to introduce Senator Brian Hughes. Brian Hughes is serving his second term in the Texas Senate, representing 16 counties in beautiful East Texas. He was born and raised in East Texas, and Brian attended Tyler Junior College and the University of Texas at Tyler. Becoming the first in his family to receive a bachelor's degree, he went on to earn his law degree from Baylor University and obtained a prestigious clerkship with U.S. District Judge William Steger. Following his service to the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Texas, Brian entered law and private practice, which he still maintains, helping families and businesses solve problems and deal with difficult challenges. 
He has been honored as Baylor Young Lawyer of the Year and outstanding alumnus of both Tyler Junior College and the University of Texas at Tyler. For his service in the legislature, Senator Hughes has received the Taxpayer Champion Award, Defender of the American Dream Award, the Horizon Award from Texas Right to Life. Mothers Against Drunk Driving has honored him as their Legislature of the Year, and American Conservative Union consistently has given him their highest rating. Senator Hughes serves as Chairman of the Senate Committee on State Affairs and as a member of the Education, Jurisprudence, Natural Resource and Economic Development, Nominations and Redistricting Committee. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm really honored to be on the show. I have to ask you, why did you decide to serve in the Texas Senate? I mean, you have such accomplishments as an attorney, but now serving in the Texas Senate, what made you decide to do that? You're very kind to ask. We obviously have this part-time citizen legislature in Texas. As you know, Congress used to be that way. Every state legislature was that way, that way. but now all the big states, well, not as big as us, but all the states half our size have gone to a full-time legislature, just like the U.S. Congress. But in Texas, we're still a part-time citizen legislature. So real people with real jobs uh, do this job and then go back home and live under the laws they made. And so uh, it was really this question you're discussing today, the right to life, that the little, little unborn baby growing inside her mother's womb ought to be the safest place on earth, right? Mm -hmm. That little baby is the most innocent, the most helpless, and the most deserving of protection a human can ever be. And so when I realized as a young man what abortion was, what it literally meant, it was shocking. I think it is to most people when they learn about that before we become desensitized. And so it was that question that primarily got me involved. I began to volunteer on pro-life campaigns, get involved in the Republican Party at the precinct level, then going on to the state convention. And again, just trying to move policy uh, to protect innocent human life. So that was the main reason I got involved in politics. And of course, since I'm there, we work on a lot of stuff, religious freedom, free markets, freedom, opportunity for everyone, a lot of important things, Second Amendment, voting rights, those are all important to us. But it was this question, that protection of innocent human life, that little baby growing inside her mother's womb, that's what got us involved in politics. That's wonderful. How did you feel going from small town Tyler all the way to Austin. It's really been something. You know, uh, Austin is a beautiful place. Uh, I'm, I'm not the first one to say this. Austin is a nice place. It's really pretty, and it's not too far from Texas, right? I know there are dear folks in Austin. The, <laughs> the, you know, the folks that are running Austin, running the city, don't always believe like the majority of Texans. Mm -hmm. And so we love Austin. It's where the capital is, but the culture is different there. So yes, it's, it's a shock. Uh, bills like the Harvey bill. Everyone doesn't agree. We realize that. In East Texas, where I live, the majority of people are in favor of that legislation. In fact, polling tells us the majority of Texans are in favor of the heartbeat bill, which became the heartbeat law. In Austin, the majority of people I don't think are in favor of that. And so, you know, we believe in free speech and a free discourse, but it's definitely a different way of thinking there than it is uh, in rural Texas or in most of Texas for that matter. You know, when you go to Austin, you see the t-shirts, keep Austin weird. So it sounds like Austin is still kind of unusual in their beliefs and things that they're doing. Uh, but it leads yeah. me to my next question. Can you explain to us why you wrote the Texas Heartbeat Bill? You bet. Texas has been passing pro-life laws for about the last 20 years. Uh, things like requiring that before a minor 
gets an abortion, before a little girl gets an abortion, parents are notified. Common sense, things like that. Recognizing that uh, when a drunk driver runs over a pregnant woman and the mother and the unborn child are killed, there are two victims, not just one. We had to change the law to recognize that. The sonogram law, right? When a mom goes in to get an abortion, she's given an opportunity to see that image of that little baby growing inside her. So for the last 20 years, Texas has led the nation on passing pro-life laws. We had not, though, passed a heartbeat law. And so coming into uh, last year, 2021, we knew it was time. But we were concerned because a number of district attorneys around the country uh, in our major cities, in many of our major cities, had publicly stated that they would not enforce pro-life laws. They said, you can pass a heartbeat bill. They went on to say, even if Roe versus Wade is overturned, they were somewhat prophetic, even if Roe is overturned, we will not enforce pro-life laws. So we knew something had to be done. We wanted to pass a heartbeat law that would be enforced, that would be upheld, and would start saving lives. So uh, it's important, it was the important next step in the pro-life movement. When there's a heartbeat, I mean, that's the universal sign of life, right? We think about our, our earliest memories of our mother's heartbeats, or we think about uh, a loved one in the hospital, that heart monitor. If there's a heart beating, that's a life. And so it was time for Texas to pass a heartbeat law. And so that's what we did uh, in 2021. It was, a, it was a real blessing. It was a big accomplishment. What made you think that it was time for Texas to pass the heartbeat law? You know, Texas had been leading for a long time on pro-life laws, and we, we tried to be wise about it, passing pro-life laws that were aggressive, pushed the envelope, but that would be upheld by the courts because we didn't want to lose ground. We want to save lives. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to send a law up that some liberal court is going to strike down and make the law worse. We tried to be wise in what we did. That's why we had not yet passed a heartbeat law. About a dozen states had passed heartbeat laws, and they had all been blocked by the courts. But going into 2021 with a new Supreme Court, with new members on the Supreme Court that we believe, based on their writings and their statements, believed in the Constitution and the limited role of the courts and the Constitution. And so we thought this was the right time to pass a heartbeat law. Can you explain to us what Roe versus Wade is? It's a great question. It just rolls off our tongues when we're in politics, but what does it even mean? Mm -hmm. So back in 1973, um, seven old men on the Supreme Court decided that they would make this decision for the rest of the country, and they would force abortion on demand on the people of all 50 states. Before 1973, different states had different laws on abortion. California and New York had much more permissive laws. Texas had more restrictive laws, many states all over the place. So that was the law. And then in 1973, a case beginning in Dallas, of course, it was a challenge to the Texas uh, pro-life statute. The law at that time said uh, abortion is illegal except to save the life of the mother for the mother's health. And so someone challenged that law, and that case went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And again, seven old men on that court decided they would take this decision away from the people. And ever since then, ever since 1973, the people acting through their state legislatures, acting through Congress, have been trying to take that back to protect innocent human lives. So Roe versus Wade has been challenged over the years. Mm -hmm. The Supreme Court has chipped away at Roe versus Wade over the years. In 1989, in the Webster case, they limited Roe versus Wade and gave states more authority to regulate abortion. In 1993, in the Planned Parenthood versus Casey case, they gave us a little more authority than in the partial birth abortion ban case, a little more, but Roe versus Wade was still there. And, and actually, in this opinion, the Supreme Court said 
oh, we find that the U.S. Constitution guarantees the right to abortion. Now, you've read the Constitution. It's not there. Right. It's not there. I'll say one more thing about Roe, and I'm taking too much time, but Roe versus Wade was the zenith, or maybe we should say the low point of an activist Supreme Court mm -hmm. beginning in the 1960s where these elitists on the Supreme Court, they wanted to impose their value judgments on the rest of us. And so they just said, hey, we're going to say this is in the Constitution and states, you have to follow it. And so they began to create things. They just made up things that were never in the Constitution. And Roe versus Wade was the ultimate decision like that. And so for that decision to go away, it's great news for little babies. It's also great news for our Constitution and for our system of government where the Constitution means what it says. Right. And the states have a role and the feds have a role. That's such a great point because it's interesting how you look at how the laws were written back in the 60s and 70s, and you see a lot of these activist political right. laws and decisions versus really what is the rule of law. Right. And so you started to see these changes, which then ultimately changed society, it changed the culture, and America just wasn't the same, especially during the 70s. Right. What I find interesting is that when you look at these pro-choice activists, they say, well, it's the 14th Amendment. It's my right in the 14th Amendment. So I pulled out my Constitution <laughs> pocketbook and it was looking at the 14th Amendment and nowhere did I see that it says that I have the right for an abortion. What about that amendment are they claiming that it's their right for an abortion. Isn't it remarkable? And you're obviously, you've studied these things. I know about your education and your work. You know what these things mean. But yes, the due process clause. So the 14th Amendment, of course, that has to do with involuntary servitude. After the war between the states and the Reconstruction, to put an end to slavery once and for all, as you, you of course, know, the Constitution was amended. And the 14th Amendment says that no one will be, described, be deprived of life, liberty, or property mm -hmm. under color of state law without due process of law. That just means the rules apply to everyone. We have to apply the rules fairly. But the Supreme Court back in the 1960s, as you say, going into the 70s, they, they began, I'm, you're gonna think, viewers will think I'm making this up. They'll think we're, they're not gonna believe us when we say what they did. But they just said, you know, the due process clause, there are rights there that we had never discovered before. I'm not making this up. They said there are rights there we had never discovered. And look, oh, we found the right to abortion. We found the right uh, to all this other conduct that the Constitution does not address. And they got away with it. A majority of the Supreme Court made that ruling and they got away with it. And so for decades, for decades, we've been laboring under these bad precedents. Mm -hmm. So you, 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 of course, you know this well, you're, you're teeing it up for me very nicely, but that due process clause says, you have to follow the law. We can't, you can't be put in jail, can't have your property taken unless they follow the law. That's good. That applies to everyone. Sure. Nothing in there even implies or hints at this constitutional right to kill an unborn child. It is not in the Constitution. It's interesting because when we look at the SCOTUS decision back on June 24th, um, and I encourage people to actually go read this, it was the Dobbs versus Jackson's women health case. And that's what started the overturning of Roe v. Wade, but the 
justices in their decision, they stated, quote, the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe and Casey are overruled, and the authority to regulate abortion is returned to the people and their elected representatives. So since this has now been sent back to the states, to yes. the people and their representatives, what does that mean for the state of Texas? That's a great point. So now each state will make its own decisions. And so in Texas, of course, we had the heartbeat law, which you are very familiar with, you talked about before. So already in Texas, if there's a heartbeat detected, even before Roe versus Wade was overturned, right? If there's a heartbeat detected, the doctor's not allowed to perform that abortion. That had stopped most abortions in Texas already. But in Texas, we also passed in last session a trigger law because we knew that the Supreme Court would be looking at the heartbeat law and other pro-life cases. Mm -hmm. And we knew it was possible the Supreme Court would overturn Roe versus Wade while the legislature was not in session. You know that part-time right. citizen legislature. So we passed a law that says if Roe versus Wade is overturned, then our laws go back into place that protect the life of the unborn child. So under the trigger law and under Texas law, now that Roe versus Wade is gone, once all the paperwork is done and everything kicks in, it says in Texas, that little unborn baby growing inside her mother's womb, her life will be protected. And we want to be clear, if there's a risk to the mother's health, mother's life's in jeopardy, of course, if the mother wants that, the doctor can do the abortion. There's been a lot of just absolute falsehoods in the media about this, maybe based on other states' laws. But in Texas, the law is clear for a medical emergency. Mm -hmm. Of course, the mother's life, the mother's health is going to be protected. Uh, and then, but the law today, once the trigger law takes effect, says that in Texas, we don't take that little baby's life unless it's to save the life of the mother or to protect the mother's health. So it's a, it's a big deal. Every state is different now, but in Texas, that's the law. Well, thank you for clarifying, particularly in the medical side, because you're right. I've seen so many disinformation from the media pertaining to the medical side of it because they say, oh, well, certain parties want the moms to die. Then they, you know, just grossly exaggerate the whole intent behind it. But what was really interesting was the opposing side, your pro-choice movement. They say that abortion is rooted in American's history. So <laughs> SCOTUS, literally when you read their decision, say nowhere can we find in our nation's history that abortion is rooted in our history. Why do you think that they have, the, the progressive movement has gone to that extreme when that's such a falsehood? Actually, it is really remarkable because in 1973, in that opinion, in Roe versus Wade, they didn't cite any precedent in favor of the right to abortion because there wasn't any. It was just not there. They just made it up in 1973. And now the left would say, oh, this is the law of the land. This has always been the law. Mm -hmm. No, it's not always been the law. 1973, they turned the law on its head. And you recall this, uh, Justice Ginsburg, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who, was, who believed in the right to abortion and, and she liked the result in Roe versus Wade, even she said, Roe versus Wade was not reasoned well. It was not a good legal opinion, not on good legal footing. It's embarrassing. And of course, they get away with it because there are so many enablers in the media, in the culture that back this up. But you're right, it was never in the Constitution, never in our traditions. They just made it up. And somehow, by God's grace, after almost 50 years, it's been corrected. You know, my... It's so astounding to me because when we watch what happened after SCOTUS's ruling and the outrage that was becoming that was coming from these different pro-choice movements, um, 
they started continuing to threaten the justices and that in itself is a violation of federal law. Yeah. So then the question is, okay, why are we not seeing the law upheld for that specific group? But if someone who's on the opposing, who's pro-life, I guarantee you the law would be thrown at them. Yes. And so why do you think we're seeing such basically hypocrisy and contradiction? It really is scary. And you know this, you have your finger on the pulse, you, you follow the culture, you're, you're involved in the culture. Uh, it's really something that independent judiciary is what sets us apart. Many places in the world, they try to set up a system like ours, but the judges get shot or kidnapped mm -hmm. and they stop applying the law. They get the message. In America, we've had this independent judiciary. Now, we don't always like what they do. And when we don't like what they're doing, we can appeal or we can go to the Congress and we can change the law. There's a process for that. But when the Supreme Court comes out with a ruling you don't like, you don't get to threaten their lives. You don't get to stake out their houses with, uh, like that guy did with, with tape and with, with a gun and with mm -hmm. all this equipment to, to do what he wanted to do, what he said he wanted to do to Justice Kavanaugh. Mm -hmm. We can't have that. It's interesting, for 50 years on the conservative side, uh, we have seen an activist Supreme Court twist the law against the Constitution, against us, and no one on the conservative side was advocating harming justices or going to their homes. It says a lot that now when the left gets for the first time a ruling that didn't go their way, a major ruling didn't go their way, and this is how they react. We can't have that, right? We have to have an independent judiciary, and we all have to follow the rules or, wow, things really do start to crumble. Right. It was interesting because when I was studying for my international law degree, we one of my courses was jurisprudence. And one of the professors shared that it's a sad day in America if we see our lawmakers create an established law, but yet they don't even abide by the law. And because now you're creating a system that is telling the American people basically rules for thee, but not mm, for me. And right. then that then shows that they're completely undermining the law, but yet that's we right. have to buy by the law. Right. So they were sharing how there's such danger in that. Mm. And that'll be a sad day for America when that mm. comes. Well, I believe we're there. We see it. So can you explain, because we see the, the ruling from SCOTUS. We know that there's the heartbeat law, but we're now having leaders, particularly here in Dallas, city council, they just passed yesterday the Grace Act to where they're going to deprioritize investigating abortions and not giving it to law enforcement. Does that not undermine what's already been established by law in the state of Texas? It absolutely does. It really is troubling. It's like we were talking earlier about district attorneys, about prosecutors, district attorneys, where they've taken an oath to uphold the law. That's their mm -hmm. job. It's one thing for a prosecutor to exercise discretion. I don't think I'm gonna prosecute that case. Evidence is kind of weak. Let's go after this one. That's their job. They have to do that. It's something entirely different when they say, I will not enforce this law because I don't like it. Mm -hmm. Or when the city of Dallas does that. We can't have that, right? We have to have the rule of law, right? We have elections. And sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure the elections are fair. Once we do that, we abide by the results. The left is increasingly refusing to do that. And things break down pretty fast when that happens. How, I know next year is the legislative session. So starting in January 23, 
uh, is the legislative session here in Texas. Knowing what is going on with the decision of SCOTUS kicking Roe v. Wade back to the state, do you have any plans to continue working to protect life next year during the legislative session? We do, and it's a great question. I know you care about these things deeply. When we passed the heartbeat bill last year, we also increased funding for the alternatives to abortion program. And that is one we put in place a little over 10 years ago. And it takes, at that time, federal and state money. And it goes to help moms who are facing difficult choices, unplanned pregnancies. Uh, many times, uh, these are such difficult situations. And the polling tells us when, when, when women who have been through abortion, when they're asked about it, the polling consistently says, if my circumstances were different, I would have made a different choice. So we want to change those circumstances. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about tangible help like parenting classes, baby formula, diapers, car seats, baby clothes, uh, tangible help with adoption for those moms who choose to put up their child for adoption. Let's help with that. So we increased funding in that program to $100 million last year, knowing with the heartbeat bill, there'd be more babies and more moms needing help. Now that Roe has gone away, Wow, more babies, more moms will need our help. So what I'll be focusing on next session is providing help for those moms, help for those babies, tangible help, making sure that they get the support they need. Uh, that's what we have to do, that's what we wanna do. And so that's gonna be a big move for us next session. Do you think that the pro-choice movement and individuals who are behind that and more of your progressives do you think they're still going to challenge Texas in their stance of pro-life next year? We do. Uh, so I've been sued. Let me, I may have, I want to get it right. I don't remember all the lawsuits, but I've been sued since the heartbeat bill. Been sued by the Biden administration, Planned Parenthood, the ACLU, and the Satanic Temple. Oh I didn't make that up, and that's okay. I guess I'm not, I'm not sure if they're in good company, but that's who nice. I've been sued by so far, and we're winning. As you know, the Supreme Court allowed the Harvey bill to stand before it overturned uh, Roe in that, right. in that Dobbs case you were talking about. So yes, we'll still be in court. Uh, we don't expect him to give up. Uh, the good news is we're on the side of the Constitution, on the side of the right, and we're on the side of the people. Most people, uh, most people are not in favor of abortion on demand. And my goodness, when we think about what it really is and talk about what this really is, and look at the image of that little baby on that sonogram. There's no arguing that is a human being growing inside our mother's womb. Mm -hmm. And so technology is on our side. Uh, as you know, in America, the younger you are, the more likely you are to be pro-life. So the other side's gonna keep fighting, but, but uh, we're, we're in a good place. Perfect. So this leads me to my last question. Um, actually, it's two. Um, so I'm glad you brought up this younger generation. Do you think that we're starting to really see a turn in the tide of the younger generation being pro-freedom? It really seems like we are. As you know, we're, we're pushing against the tide because in higher education, especially so-called higher education college, right. uh, indoctrination is so heavy like it's never been. You know, we always, you know, every generation, there's the nightmare of the Christian parents sends their child to college, they come back a liberal, they come back an atheist. And that is not just a cliche, that is a reality more and more. And then the polling shows it and the culture shows it. And those conservative professors, the way they're treated, it's very difficult now for a conservative to get tenure. It's impossible at some schools. So all that to say, higher ed has become a wasteland. And so young people running through there is scary. 
Yet in spite of that, we see movements on campuses, right? We see groups springing up on campuses and we see uh, students who want the truth. On social issues in general, the abortion issue is the first one that we're seeing a lot of encouragement. Where the younger you are, the more likely you are to be pro-life. And it's technology. They can see that little baby. So, so we're optimistic. We're optimistic. That's incredible. So now officially my last question. How would you say, or what would you say to our audience on how they can get involved? What would be your call to action today? Oh, that's a great point. There's so much going on. Obviously, uh, those, those midterm elections coming up are a big deal for our country and for our state. The Texas legislative session will begin in January, as you mentioned, of next year. And so between now and then, uh, these hot button issues are in the media. They're in the news. And so a lot of folks have been talking about Roe, about Roe being overturned, what that means. We have a real opportunity to tell people uh, Roe versus Wade doesn't mean abortion ends. It means each state makes its own decisions. And mm -hmm. so here in Texas, we can advocate. And just to get to tell them the stories of these moms who need our help and to tell them the truth about the law. We are for moms. We are for little babies. You know, the left says we have to choose. We have to choose between the mom and the unborn child. But we know better. You're mm -hmm. living it. We're proving it that in Texas, we can save the life of the unborn child while we love and support and respect the mother. And that's what we have to do. That's so good. Well, thank you so much for joining us today here on Freedom Talks. I look forward to having you back. And more importantly, thank you so much for fighting for the people down in Austin. We appreciate you and look forward to having you back. I'm really honored to be on. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that concludes Freedom Talks today. And first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Vibrant Health MD, who made this episode possible. Vibrant Health MD is a health and wellness practice based in Plano, Texas. They will help you discover a healthy life so you can live your best life. Visit VibrantHealthMD.com. That is VibrantHealthMD.com. And as I close here, I just want to thank each and every single one of you for watching. I'd like to thank uh, Senator Hughes again for joining us. But I just want to encourage you all to speak truth. This is something that if you've been following Freedom Talks for quite some time, I have been talking a lot about truth. The truth is our authority. We need to speak truth. And I just want to encourage you all that when it comes to time to discussing Roe v. Wade with family and friends, it didn't abolish abortion. That is, a, that is something that has been used to try and manipulate the situation. No, the decision was just given back to the states. So if you don't like the outcome, talk to your representatives, talk to your state officials, talk to your congressional leaders, because only then can laws change when we actually address our legislatures and inform them what we are passionate about and what we want to see take place. So I encourage you to speak truth, contact your representatives, but more importantly, do your part to get involved. November is right around the corner and we have to do our part to get involved at the local and state level because truly freedom is on the line and that includes life. Scripture talks about in Psalm and in Jeremiah that God knew us before we were even born. God knew us even before we were even in the womb. So even that shows that we are created as God's masterpiece. We're beautifully, wonderfully, and fearfully made according to Psalm 139. So in that, there's such value in life and we need to do our part to fight for life all the way from the womb, all the way to the grave. And so we need to do our part. So I encourage you to find pro-life organizations to get behind, volunteer, support them, 
them, do what you can and do what you can to get involved at the local and state level. In the meantime, together, let us stand for righteousness, speak truth and protect freedom. I'll see you next time. God bless.